This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 and Sunday mornings at 11 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. When you have positive self-esteem, you feel good about your body, you tend to have more sexual satisfaction. Not worried about whether I'm doing it right, whether I look good, whether my partner's attracted to me. I'm going to be much more relaxed. I'm going to enjoy myself more. I'm going to probably state my desires a little bit more. I'm going to explore a little bit more, take a few more risks. Acceptance and feeling desired are huge aphrodisiacs. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to discuss the natural treatment of gut inflammation. We'll hear about the connection between sexual satisfaction and relationship satisfaction. We're going to learn how to make a healthy Valentine's Day dinner. And lastly, we'll find out what your mouth says about your overall health. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by Omega Alpha. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian owned and has been GMP certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you for having me on again, Jimmy. This is the time of year when people are well into their resolution to lose weight and be healthy, but perhaps aren't reaching their goals. And one factor that they may not be thinking about, but perhaps should be, is gut inflammation, right? Yeah. Before we even go down that pathway of gut inflammation, when we started talking about weight loss, there are many different reasons why people don't lose weight. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of people who go out there and think there's a magic bullet. You take one pill and you're going to drop 20 pounds. I wish. I mean, it doesn't work that way. I mean, sometimes even people who work out hard don't lose weight too. And you've heard many stories about people who say, oh, you know, I worked out, I work out, I work out, I don't eat as much, and I still don't lose weight. I work out regularly, but I know that it's only responsible for perhaps 20 to 30% of my capacity to lose weight. Yeah. It really it really comes down to what you're eating and how you're eating and when you're eating. That is also right. I mean, there's, there's certain things that the body sabotages your efforts too. Right. right. For example, one of the things I, I tell everybody, I mean, for, as far as weight loss, the body has something called what's called a set point, right? Yep. So if for whatever reason, it says, okay, today I am 160 pounds. Yep. I'm comfortable at 160 pounds, and we will stay at 160 pounds, right? Yep. So if I decide I'm going to diet, 
to get rid of some of that weight. Well, what happens when the body says, you know what, we're moving away from that 160 pounds, I'm eating less. So instead of ramping up the metabolism, what happens? The metabolism slows down. So right. all of a sudden you become from a Cadillac engine to a Volkswagen engine where you sip gas, right? Yeah. So those are some of the things. There are also some of the issues with weight loss is that, you know, not only weight loss, but a lot of different ailments that people have is caused by gut inflammation, all right? Mm-hmm. Now, and I know when we go down that path, one of the first things, if you talk to a lot of naturopaths, et cetera, alternative health people, the first thing they say is leaky gut or leaky gut syndrome. Right. Now, if you go talk to your doctor, the first, and you say the word leaky gut syndrome, all of a sudden he, his eyes just glaze because all of a sudden you're talking hocus pocus, hoodoo voodoo, right? Yep. They don't buy into that. They don't buy into that. However, if you say uh, the words intestinal hyperpermeability, all right, or, or something like that, all of a sudden they set up a listen because just tons of papers published about intestinal hyperpermeability, right? Permeability of the intestines, right? Normally, the small intestines, the large intestines, if they're healthy, right? What happens is that it's permeable to is the controls that keeps things out allows things in. Right. Right. However, in cases where of inflammation of the gut, for example, right, what happens is that if you think about it, think of your skin. Think of your gut having a, a piece of skin over it. If you scrape your skin, what happens? You expose the underlying tissue underneath, right? Yes. So if you come with a little bit of salt, all of a sudden that salt has access to the underlying tissue. Well, you know when the salt is under, um, it's very painful. Of course. Right? Yep. The same thing happens with the gut. If you have inflamed gut tissue, for example, and you have things normally that wouldn't bother it because just like acids won't bother it because you have a, a layer that protects it, right? If that gets destroyed because of inflammation, all of a sudden, you know, a lot of different things get access. Things like food sensitivities can be traced back to inflamed gut. Yes. Okay? Now, I don't want to make it sound that inflamed gut just happens by itself out of the blue. What, what are the causes? There are so many different reasons people get it. It's not like you don't get scraped on the inside by a bone or something like that, and it causes the, right. yeah. the, the, the uh, inflammation process, okay? It could be something like the type of bacteria you have in your gut, right. okay? Producing toxins, which then the gut doesn't agree with, then that causes inflammation. And a classic case is that if you take, um, what do you call it, E. coli, right? Yes. You think of E. coli. We have a lot of E. coli in our body to start off with, right? But the E. coli that we have has been adapted to our body, and our body have adapted to those different strains of E. coli. So Yeah, it serves, a, it serves a purpose in digestion, and yeah. it's part of our biome. Yeah, right. it's part of your biome. Maybe good or bad, we don't know. There's a lot of it we still don't know, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, they also have E. coli that, like the one that happened in Walkerton, right? Or the one that you, you get E. coli from cattle manure so and so yeah. on. Those type of E. coli, you know, it's still the same E. coli, but it's a different strain. What happens is that those strains produce different types of toxins, for want of a better way of saying it, or different types of chemicals, which our body cannot, is not adapted to. So our body reacts to it by inflammation. Now, if this inflammation rages on unchecked, right, mm-hmm. that causes chronic inflammation of the gut. In some people, that goes down to become Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, inflammatory bowel disease. That's the extreme cases. But you also have, on the other end of the spectrum, we have the people who, there's inflammation, but it's, for want of a better way of saying it, I call it subclinical, 
okay? Mm-hmm. In, in the sense that it's there, the analogy I would use is if you are feeling achy, right? right. Achiness is caused by inflammation, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't have the classic signs of inflammation, meaning that if you have an inflamed wound, for example, it's swollen, it's hot, it's, you know, right. it's painful. You don't have that. So the subclinical way of looking at it, the subclinical symptoms is that you just don't feel right. You feel, you know, achy, the muscle feels achy, etc. I am feeling that right now in my right. gut today. So you yep. do have, in, that's inflammation. Now, the body has a way of rectifying inflammation, controlling inflammation, okay? What does it do? Well, there, there's several systems in the body that helps get rid of that inflammation because what it does is that it gets rid of the chemicals that causes the inflammation, right? It helps control that. It dilutes it out, et cetera, right? Okay. However, in many cases, the body's ability to do that, for whatever reason, we don't know why, is just not working, right? Uh, this is why you need to take your ibuprofens or your, you know, your drugs, your non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to give it a push, Right, and that does seem to help, but in, in many cases, is that the inflammation, because it's so widespread, your ibuprofen, for whatever reason, is not working for that. And sometimes the ibuprofen themselves, if you, in the case of gut inflammation, because they're non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, they themselves cause a bigger problem, which is ulcers, which is another form of inflammation. Right. I thought ibuprofen right? was hard on your stomach. It is hard on your GI tract, right? But you know what? If you have muscle aches, right, it's the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. You can, you yeah. Know? So sometimes you have to pick your poison. True. But one of the things I always tell people, if you have inflammation, this is why you need to take an antioxidants. Okay. Antioxidants, every single antioxidant known to man is an anti-inflammatory. And the reason I say that is because the process of inflammation, one of the ways that it does, for example, white cells come into an area, it releases chemicals. A lot of these chemicals act by a free radical mechanism, right? And antioxidants basically stop free radical reactions. So this is why it's a good idea to consume antioxidants on a regular basis. Okay. And we can get those from our food and through supplements, correct? You can get us through foods and sustenance, but the problem with foods and sustenance is that most of us don't get enough. Right. It's like vitamin C. I can get vitamin C from oranges. Okay, but how many of us will sit down and, and take four or five oranges? Not many. Right? Yep. And that's oranges. And you, most people, if they take an orange a day, that'd be great, but most people don't even get an orange a day. Yeah. Right? So it's great in theory to say, right? Because we live in a convenience world too, right? So it's easy for us to just grab a, a, a vitamin C tablet, right? Yes. Now, one of the things I also talk about with antioxidants is that not all antioxidants are the same. Right. So, for example, everybody knows that vitamin C is an antioxidant, right? But you can't just take vitamin C alone as the only antioxidant because there's several free radicals. There are many free radicals that anti that vitamin C does not quench. Okay. Okay. You know. So anyway, so what I'm advocating is a wide variety of antioxidants. Okay. Let's get back to a little bit about. I'm straying a bit from the. No, it's okay. We're going to follow you down the path because you know what you're talking about. No, because you see, the problem with a lot of our ailments, et cetera, is that we think it's just a one, it is only one cause of this entire ailment. Right. What we don't realize, everything in the body is connected. 
Of uh, because everything is connected, uh, we, we don't push past the boundaries to say, hey, you know, this seems so far from the actual image. We shouldn't even be looking at that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is why you have to approach a lot of these things from many different, from many different directions, I would say. So getting back to the inflammation, one of the things is sometimes inflammation is caused by food sensitivities. Right. Right. Yep. Now, in all fairness, if the gut isn't inflamed, right, then the barriers are in place. If the barriers are in place, right, it would not see a lot of the proteins that are causing the food sensitivities, right? Okay. So, however, by the time people figure out they have food sensitivities, their gut is probably inflamed already. So we have to try and fix that gut inflammation. How do we do that? What can we do? There's no magic bullet. I wish I could say there was a magic bullet. One of the things you have to do is to try and avoid the irritant. So in this case, if you have food sensitivities to a certain food, you avoid that food for a bit. Right. right, and I use the word avoid. Right, I don't want anybody going out there to say, "Well, doctor said don't eat this, so I should give that up totally." Right, because yeah. I've seen a lot of this happen. If somebody does a food sensitivity test and they're sensitive to five million things, right? So yeah. then the person looks at the um, person who's doing the test. Says, oh, shoots! What can I eat? Right. Right. What it is, it means that you are sensitive to it, but you don't live on. So don't go out and binge on these things. A little bit is okay, but a lot of it is not okay. So now, after having said that, there are certain people who, for example, uh, and I'll use gluten as a classic example, because everybody talks about gluten sensitivities now. There are a certain class of people, which I call them the celiacs. Yes. a little bit of gluten, they're in pain for a long time. Okay? Yes. Then we have what's called the gluten-sensitive people. And I put that in quotation marks, right? Because in all fairness, there are some people, they like to be part of the crowd and be part of the gluten. I, I'm skeptical of a lot of people who say they're gluten-sensitive. Yeah. I, I, you know, it just, there yeah. could be a lot of different factors. But uh, I say different strokes, different folks. And I yeah. if you think you're gluten-sensitive, sometimes what happens, you're not necessarily gluten-sensitive because when you make a bread, there's a whole bunch of different things in bread besides gluten. Yes. Right? Yep. You may be sensitive to the type of yeast that they have. You may be sensitive to some of the additives that they put in there, and the poor gluten gets the blame. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and gluten, you find gluten all over the place, right? So, you got to take it with a grain of salt. But even those people, I would say, it doesn't mean that if you think you're gluten sensitive, it doesn't mean that you should stop eating any type of gluten product, right? Because right. a little bit is not a bad thing because I know some people say, well, I take gluten and I get bloating. Well, the bloating could be caused of gluten, but it could be because of just things happening in your life because as you go through life, Right, you do get bloated, whether you eat gluten or not. Exactly. Right, could be stress, could, could be, be stress, etc. Lack of and sleep. That's another no. thing. We didn't even go down that road to talking about sensitivities of the gut. There, we talk about stress. Right, stress I know causes a lot of sensitivities in the gut, and it can be even leading to issues with inflammation. Right, so we have to control our stress. Right, and I hate to point it out, like this. don't throw up your hands and give up. I said everything you do. 
try to be balanced in your approach to whatever treatment you're doing, especially if you're making lifestyle changes, right? One of the things I find with lifestyle changes is people want to go down that road and it's all or nothing, right? It's like you exercise, people say, well, they believe they should exercise, they over-exercise. And then what happens? Everything else aches except the part that they're trying to cure. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, what I find is this. People dash headlong to try and fix themselves, but what they're not thinking about is what's next, right? So let's say you have a goal of losing 20 pounds. You lose the 20 pounds. How are you going to keep it off? That's right. What's your plan going forward? Because it's a lifestyle decision. It's, it's not, you're not executing a plan in the short term. If you're trying to improve your health, you're going to have to live a lifestyle for the rest of your life. That's right. So it better be something you can handle. Yeah. Right? So I guess my take home message on this is balance. Yep. Try to balance everything that you do. Don't do anything in the extreme. If you have a certain ailment, you take things which will help that ailment, but it doesn't mean you give up everything else. Right. And if, you know, like, for example, I know booze is detrimental to the gut. However, a glass of wine is good for the cardiovascular system. So what I say to people, a glass of wine is not going to kill you, but don't drink six. Exactly. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what's happening to people. They want to take all or nothing. Right. Yep. And that's wise advice. And I think, you know, if anything, in listening to the tonic, we're not prescribing a certain course of action, but rather giving people food for thought as to how they can improve their lives. I guess what you're saying is holistically with a view to the future, right? Yeah, that's right. And balance and try to live a healthier lifestyle. But even then, balance. Exactly. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. We'll hear from you again next month, right? Yes, definitely. And thank you for having me on board. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn about the connection between sexual satisfaction and relationship satisfaction on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is the founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality shop and workshop centre in Toronto. She's also the producer of the Toronto International Porn Festival, and she's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. Watch her TEDx Toronto talk and educational videos at carlislejansen.com. 
And if you'd like to reach out to her, you can do that at Carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. Hi. So in the February issue of Tonic, you wrote a thoughtful article about the factors and interconnectedness between sexual satisfaction and satisfaction in relationships. Yeah. And specifically, you asked the question, what factors tend to affect sexual satisfaction in a partnership, which is mm-hmm. something that, you know, we don't necessarily all think about. Yeah. So let's sort of explore, you know, what conclusions you, you came to there. Okay. Last month, we discussed in a different context, self-esteem, mm-hmm. but that seems to be the starting point here, right? That That's an important element, right? Absolutely. And that when you have positive self-esteem, you feel good about your body, you tend to have more sexual satisfaction, which kind of makes sense. I mean, if I'm not worried about whether I'm doing it right, whether I look good, whether my partner's attracted to me, um, I'm going to be much more relaxed. I'm going to enjoy myself more. I'm going to probably state my desires a little bit more. I'm going to explore a little bit more, take a few more risks. Um, And all of those things are going to ensure that both of us um, have a really good time. And yeah, people who tend to love themselves tend to have much better sex. And acceptance and feeling desired are huge aphrodisiacs. But interestingly enough, I found this surprising that one study showed that men don't feel desired and sexy by their partners as much as women do, which I thought was fascinating. No, that's not a surprise uh, no? to me. No, yeah. not oh, at all. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I think traditional, you know, the stories you see on TV, the movies right. that you go to, right? Yeah. It's the man who sort of expresses his desire for the woman. Right. And it's almost, I wouldn't say it's a sexual aggression, but it's right. certainly, it's certainly men are still, I, th- I think, expected to be the initiator. Sure. Right? Uh, yeah. Yep. And, Often. Yes. And so... How would a woman initiate discussing, well, you know, you look really great or, you know, right. and, and so if you don't hear it, you don't think you, it. you may not think it. Yeah. Sorry, I may yeah. be injecting too much of my own personal. Yeah, sure. you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah, just that women tend to vocalize more body image challenges. They don't feel sexy. Right. And men right. don't talk about it so much, but maybe it's more of an internal thing. Right. I just think we're not socialized to talk about it, but right. I, I do believe it's there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyways, but feeling accepted and feeling desired will totally boost your sexual satisfaction. So, you know, here we are where it's coming up to Valentine's Day. Right. Um, but all the time, I think we need to reinforce to our partners, hey, I think you're hot. Hey, I think you're handsome. Hey, I think you're sexy and helping them feel good because that will help to boost your sexual satisfaction. Okay. For everybody. Yeah, that makes total sense. You know, another one which seems obvious on the surface, but I think we should discuss is is emotional intimacy, right? Sure. That sexually satisfied people tend to practice emotionally intimate behaviors. So they do a lot more cuddling. They do a lot more kissing. They do a lot more laughing together. And that's not to say that you don't have that raw, passionate sex where you just, you know, tear each other's clothes off if you like to do that. It means that we need to do that in addition to, or at least sometimes. So setting the mood, putting on music, dressing up, lighting candles, all of those Valentine's-y things. Right. <laughs> Not only on February 14th. Right. Even Not- though even though it's February 14th soon, <laughs> you can still do it on the 13th and yes. the 15th and, and the 16th. I actually think that catching your partner off guard is way more sexy, way more hot, and is received that much better than the predictable, oh, right, it's February 14th, of course, you're going to get me something nice, or you're going to tell me I look sexy, or you're going to dress up for me. You're right. I'm going to have to put that in the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> so, and of course, you know, communication is both king and queen, right? Yes. Communication, I mean, is good 
good communication makes all relationships great or better anyways, and certainly will increase sexual satisfaction. But it's not only sexual communication. Um, It's also about non-sexual communication. People who communicate about things like, you know, I feel like the chores are divided unevenly, that those people tend to also have more sexual satisfaction. Um, And it's not only when you are having sex. It's about sending text messages. It's about sending a card. It's about um, teasing your partner. It's about that really intense kiss on your way out the door when it doesn't lead to anything. Those kinds of communications are really important to do regularly. And the more you do that regularly, the more confident your partner feels, the more satisfied you both are, um, and uh, which will lead to a better relationship overall. Yeah, it doesn't have to be verbal, right? I mean, you doesn't can, have to be verbal. You, you can just, you know, grab your partner and give them a kiss or, yeah. or, or a hug yeah. or touch their arm. Yeah, or... although I do feel like saying I love you. So often people say, oh, you know, he or she already knows that. But you know what? We don't always know that. And we don't always know what we find sexy about each other. And we start to take each other for granted. So communicating that, you know, you looked really hot this morning when you left the house. Or, yep. you know, I think about you during the day and, and how much I love you. We think that our partners know that, but it never hurts to reinforce it. I actually consciously make an effort. If a thought like that pops into my head, oh, she mm. looks really good today. Or, you know, I'm really happy she's here. I kind of missed yeah. her. She's been busy. Yeah. I make a point of articulating it Great. because you never know when that opportunity is going to come up again or you right. know, you may feel differently. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she may be getting on your nerves in a little while and you really don't feel like yeah. that. But yeah. when, you, when you're in the moment and you feel like that, you absolutely should express it. Absolutely. I think, I think it's great. Yep. You also indicate variety is a factor, sure. which is sort of like... It's kind inter- of a no-brainer. It is, but it's an interesting concept in the yeah. context of a long-term relationship, right? Yeah. So, so what do you mean by variety? So trying different things, taking risks. Um, uh, vulnerability and taking risks is a huge predictor of sexual satisfaction. And so it's not about saying like, oh, hey, let's try a different sexual position. We're going to have a great time. Right. Uh, it's also, it's not the novelty itself. It's also about... Trust, I guess. Trust. Yeah putting yourself out there, emotional vulnerability, taking a risk, that's what creates the the sexual satisfaction and the connection. It's not just like, oh, let's try something different. It's about how do we try something different? How do I bring it up? How do I make sure that you're satisfied as well as I'm satisfied, not just for the sake of trying something new? Right. The next item on the list, it's near and dear to me because I used to joke that the Bussin family motto is more is better. Mm-hmm. So, but you say quantity is a factor. Um, yeah. As is quality, of course. Sure. Yeah. So let's talk. I mean, let's put it out there. Quality yeah. and quantity of sex is important, right? It is. And what some studies have found is that once a week is kind of the sweet spot. Yeah. If it's less than once a week, we're often not as sexually satisfied, or maybe one partner is not as sexually satisfied. When you know, but when you go like two, three you know, eight times a week, it doesn't necessarily get you more satisfaction, but, you know, it doesn't negate the importance of quality and that quality once a month is way better than crappy sex, you know, five times a month. And, you know, when you have orgasms, then, you know, that tends to go up also, but not exclusively, right? Quality does not necessarily mean that you had an orgasm or eight orgasms. And interestingly enough, people who have oral sex more regularly tend to have better satisfaction. And that what? goes for both giving and receiving. I, I, I'm not sure they know why, but I think I think part of that is that people who practice oral sex regularly tend to do more than just in heterosexual couples, the missionary position 
intercourse, right? right. Yeah. Um, so it shows that people who do oral sex are probably trying different things also, um, that you're communicating more, that you're more comfortable with each other's bodies. Um, and so... Uh, it sounds like almost like a manifestation of all the other points that we were talking right. about before, yeah, right? I think the, so. The yeah. intimacy, the ex- exploration, the trust, et yep. cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a it's one way that we show all of those things. So, so there's definitely a correlation between more oral sex, both giving and receiving and better sexual satisfaction. Okay, so we only have time to sort of explore one more point, but it's a really interesting one. Yeah. And it's, it's the interconnectedness between sexual satisfaction and relationship satisfaction because it isn't necessarily a They straight, don't go back and forth. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so explain how it works. So sexual satisfaction tends to lead to more relationship satisfaction, but relationship satisfaction today doesn't necessarily predict sexual satisfaction tomorrow. Right. Um, and so some people say, well, if you're having bad sex, you know, that's because you have a bad relationship. Not necessarily. And just because you have a better relationship and you work on things doesn't mean you're going to automatically have better sex. Uh, so what they say is that the sexual component of your relationship affects, it's about 15 to 20 percent. It's, it's funny that there's a percentage I know, I know. To like, it, right? ah, how do you measure that? I'm not sure. But that accounts for about 15 to 20 percent of your relationship satisfaction. So, you know, it doesn't mean you don't have to do other things to, right. to make sure that your relationship is healthy. But focusing on the sexual aspect is, I think, certainly a fun way. For sure. It couldn't, <laughs> um, couldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, help make your relationship stronger, better, more vibrant, um, and also, you know, boost your health and all those other things. But uh, it's a, it, you know, and not on only on on Valentine's Day. Right. Do it all time of the year and you'll have a healthier sexual relationship and a healthier relationship overall. Good advice indeed. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. But you'll come back next month, right? I'll be here. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free and great tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural Liquid Greens. Are you one of the many Canadians dealing with chronic pain, anxiety, IBS, and other such conditions? Are you interested in finding out more about your options with medical cannabis? Then join one of 22,000 patients nationwide who've let Harvest Medicine be their trusted cannabis healthcare partner and provider. It's never been easier to access Harvest Medicine's healthcare team, education, and resources. Simply download the HMed Connect app from the Android and Apple stores and book your appointment today. To find out more, visit hmed.ca or download the app. That's H-M-E-D Connect from your app store. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Carolyn Tanner-Cohen, is owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for over 17 years. She has a science background which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. 
Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information about Carolyn, visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic. Hi, Jamie. So last month, I challenged you to help our listeners come up with a healthy meal to cook for their sweetie or sweeties on Valentine's Day. What have you come up with? Oh, yeah. I've come up. We, we're, we're here. Yeah? We've got it. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. But I will tell you that Valentine's Day can be really stressful for people. I know. It's, um, it's stressful in terms of making a dinner reservation. It costs a fortune. Yep. It's always a set menu. Mostly people don't like that. Yeah. So I decided in the last few years that I'm going to do Valentine's Day at home. Yep. Now, that doesn't mean you have to find your sweetheart and have dinner, a romantic dinner for two. Right. You could definitely do that, and that's really nice. But doesn't have, have to be fondue in the hot tub. No, for sure, for sure. But you could have a little party. Yeah. And that takes the stress off your Valentine's Day, the stress off the romanticness of the night, if you don't necessarily want that. Of course, you could take it down to just you and a couple, you and one other, but you could have a few people over. You could have friends right. that don't necessarily have a sweetheart. We're, we're not advocating swapping here, right? No, the, no, no. This is this, not a key This is party. all about the food. Yes, this is about the food and less stress. Okay. Okay, keys could stay in your pocket. Because <laughs> it's not a key party, and, and, and that's a different stress. In, in, Entirely. That's, an, that's yeah. another show. I keep <laughs> saying sure. that. But we should do another, that. March. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I like to make a little bit of a party, even if it's a small dinner party. Sure. So, But also, I want to stay healthy. I don't want this to become all about chocolate and gluttonous and indulgence. Right. Okay? Indulgence to a degree. Right. So this is how I do it. Let's okay? hear it. So first of all, I want to make it a little bit of a more special night, so a more longer evening. Right. So I start earlier because I don't like to eat too late. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I start out with a nice spread of dips and um, appetizers. And we linger over the appetizers for a longer period of time. And then I have a much lighter dinner. So people are sort of full anyway from the appetizers. And then we go into a lighter dinner. So it looks like this. Okay. So I have a healthy charcuterie board always. And that includes a minimal amount of cured meats and nitrate meats. I I don't like nitrates at all. So I try to find, you know, a nitrate meat, one or two nitrate meats on the charcuterie board. And right, I, and we're talking about like salamis, prosciutto, yeah, stuff yeah. like that, so right? So I, I do like one, maybe, maybe two. And then I go for harder cheeses like Parmesan cheese and goat cheese. So with the Parmesan cheese, what I like to do is I like to take the hard, authentic Parmesan cheese, cut it up into small chunks, have a small bowl of honey next to it. Mm-hmm. And in the honey or on the Parmesan cheese is cracked black pepper. And people take the cheese, dip it in the honey and eat it like that. It's healthy. You don't need a ton. It doesn't break the bank. You just have a few little squares per person. The other nice cheese I like to put on there is goat cheese mixed with a pure unpasteurized honey, tons and tons of cracked black pepper, and a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. So you're talking about a soft goat cheese there? Yeah, a soft goat cheese, exactly. And I make a little spread with it. Mm -hmm. So now, spread. So this is my next thing. Crackers. Right. We all fill up on crackers, and this is great for Valentine's Day and great for your entertaining in general, but... I make sweet potato crackers, sweet potato toasts, have you will. Okay. How do you um, do that? So I take the sweet potato and I cut it into very, very thin rounds. Mm-hmm. Just I, I leave the skin on to scrub it clean. Yep. And then I, I bake it in the oven like at a high temperature, like 400 or so. I flip them around a few times. They crisp up? They crisp up. You do not oil them. Ah. Okay, so and I'm not I'm not oiling them so that they crisp up really nicely. They dry out. In yeah, other they words. do, and there's also a tipping point where they start to char. Yeah, it, right? which so is have... okay if they char a bit. Yeah, yeah, you don't want them to char too much because sweet potato burnt doesn't taste so good. No, it does not. Yeah, so you, that so you flip them around a few times, and then you let them cool. 
and they're not soft, they're crisp, and, and the thinner you make them, the better. Right. You don't need a mandolin or anything, you just need a good knife, and you, you use those as the crackers. Okay. So right away, you're getting rid of crackers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I have two different cheese-type dips, one or two meats, right. but always nitrate-free. And then instead of having three or four meats, I'll do a couple smoked fishes. So like a gravlox or you know another type of cured fish from a great purveyor in Toronto. Or you can make your own gravlox oh, at yes. home too, which is fun, yes. like a beet-cured gravlox. Beet cured gra- very easy to make. We should talk about that if yeah. you like. Okay. We could talk about that maybe another time. but Or to make gravlox, it's quite easy. You just coat it with salt, pour a little bit of vodka, put some beets or no beets over it, and let it sit for 48 hours. Right. And that's and you've just made gravlox. Sorry, a salt-sugar-pepper solution I make. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then what I like to do is make a couple dips. So I like to make one of my... Speaking of beets, I like to make a beetroot hummus. Mm-hmm. So I take a can of chickpeas or tahina or tahini, whatever you want, and I puree into the chickpeas cooked beets. And you can even buy beets cooked now, already prepackaged beets, or you could even use canned ones for this. So it's very, very easy to do that. And you can mix a little goat's cheese in there, softened goat's cheese or not, a little olive oil, a little bit of garlic, salt and pepper, and you've got a really beautiful dip that basically came from the grocery store. Okay, what's tip number two? Tip number two is I love to make, well, actually, before I do tip number two, what I like to do for crackers also is to use endive leaves as scoopers. Right. So we all love tortilla chips for scooping, even if you're scooping guacamole. Mm-hmm. So I use endive leaves instead. They have a great scooping ability. Keep yep. them very chilled until you want to use them. And then I use that as a scooper. The other thing, I, and a lot of steamed vegetables on there, steamed and raw vegetables, daikon radish is a great conversation starter. So if you want to have a little bit of a party and you want to have a conversation go to going, daikon radish is a great one. It looks like a, um, it looks almost like, uh, I can't really describe how it looks, but it's a long white Looks like a horseradish. It looks yeah. like a horseradish, yeah. And when you peel the outside, and it tastes like a non-spicy radish. Yeah, or watermelon radish is beautiful, too. Yeah, watermelon. Hard to get sometimes, but beautiful as well. Um, what I love to do is make parsnip fries, and they can be served cold. So it, like the sweet potato idea, right. you cut, you peel parsnips, you cut them into matchsticks, you sprinkle them with a little bit of olive oil or melted coconut oil, and you roast them in the oven at 400 degrees for about 45 minutes. You really don't even need to turn them around. And I serve those with a sprinkling of uh, Parmesan cheese on them. So it's almost like, mm. you know, Parmesan fries. Right. And they're delicious. Yeah, and parsnips, they have a, they have a good firm and they're a little bit sweet. Yeah, so. they're delicious. So now let's get to the dinner. All right. Okay. So as I was saying earlier, I want to do a lighter dinner. So what I love to make on Valentine's Day is a bouillabaisse. It's very do-ahead. Right. And most people really love it. And if you have a shellfish allergy, just use plain fish, all different kinds. So I make the, and it's on my website. So if you really want the full recipe, just go ahead to deliciousdish.ca and you'll mm-hmm. get the recipe. But I make a, a soup base that has potato in it, and it has carrots and celery and onion, and it has a stock. Uh, usually I use vegetable stock or right. even just water. And then before I want to uh, serve it, I drop my fish and shellfish in there. So what sort of fish do you recommend for a bouillabaisse? I really like all different fishes. The key is mixing it up. So I love salmon. I love halibut, and I put a little bit of cod. I don't love the cod in there, but I do like put a little bit. Um, I put mussels and clams and shrimps in there. Sometimes I'll put a little squid as okay. well. What flavoring agents are you using for the seafood? Are you are you putting pernod in? Or are you putting tomato? What, I'm actually not. I'm gonna I put tomato in there. 
Um, so I put strained tomatoes, mm-hmm. and um, I'll put a little bit of tomato paste also while I'm cooking the onion. Right. And then I put a can of whole tomato, San Marzano tomatoes, really yep. make for a sweet bouillabaisse base. Right. Uh, so I'll puree a can of San Marzano tomatoes. I love those in there. So this is all make ahead then, right? It's totally make ahead. And then what you do is you bring the soup base to a boil, right. and then you drop your fish in there, and within 10 minutes you could serve dinner. And then I serve a great piece of, a great baguette, sourdough baguette. Yeah. And you have a great dinner, and it's lighter. And even you could even make a salad with that. Maybe a very, very simple salad, arugula, um, slow-roasted tomatoes, or a little bit of fennel, um, a, a balsamic vinaigrette, and that's it. Okay, so let's stop screwing around. Let's get to dessert, because that's what everybody <laughs> okay. really wants to hear it's about. It's true. base is fine, okay, but this true, is Valentine's true, true. Day, okay, so, let's, so let's come with the goods. Okay. What, what's for dessert? This is actually my staple Valentine's Day dessert. I okay. do it every single year. I make mini do-ahead freezer chocolate souffles, and I make them in four-ounce ramekins, so you're not overeating. Okay. And I'll, the recipe's on my website. I will take two. Yeah, you will definitely take two. Actually, you should always, if you have, if you have six people, you yeah. need to make 12. And don't worry about it, because they're in your freezer. You could leave them there. So I use 70% dark chocolate, Mm -hmm. egg whites, a small amount of sugar or coconut sugar, Mm -hmm. and you whip them up as you would any good egg white and sugar, and then you mix in the dark chocolate that's melted, and you put them in the ramekins, you throw them in the freezer, and 16 minutes before you want to eat them, you throw them in the oven from frozen from frozen, yeah, and they they don't deflate. No, they're unbelievable. You take them out of the freezer right. while your oven's preheating. So you turn your oven on, take them out of the freezer. So maybe they're out of the freezer for 15, 20 minutes. Slide them into the oven. Sixteen mi- minutes later, you have a souffle. But when they freeze, the, it doesn't break the not the at all stru- the cell structure. No, bit? it's actually incredible. And I serve it with coconut ice cream because that's what I like. Okay. Yeah, all but right, well, don't don't stress too much about the recipe, Jamie. It's on the website. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. That's all the time we have. My pleasure. We'll hear back from you next month. We've got to take a short break, but we will be right back on The Tonic. At Caregiver Services Limited, we specialize in 12 to 24-hour private care for seniors in private homes, hospitals, or facilities. We provide the highest level of customized service for families looking for a caregiver or personal support worker. To ensure the highest quality of care and support, we limit the number of clients we service. Whether you're looking for general live-in care or have more significant needs related to mobility issues, dementia, or palliative care, finding someone who's a great fit is most important. At Caregiver Services Limited, our highly experienced staff specialize in meeting the unique needs of 12 to 24-hour care. For more information, please visit caregiverservices.ca. Let our family help care for yours. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Dr. Shauna Friedman, graduated from the U of T Dental School in 1992. In practice for over 26 years, Dr. Friedman sees patients of all ages and loves the close relationships that come from treating families living in her own neighborhood. Welcome to The Tonic. 
Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So if the eyes are the windows to the soul, your mouth might be the window to your overall health, huh? They really are. I know when I'm coming down with something because my gums start to get sore. And I understand that's not a rare thing for a lot of people. If something's wrong with their mouth, it's sort of an indicator there's something else going on, right? That's for sure. And sometimes things a little bit uh, more serious than just the common cold. We can see a lot of stuff just looking in the mouth. How many, how many mouths do you look at per year? Um, roughly about 3,000. 3,000 mouths. Yes, that's a lot of mouths. That's a lot of mouths. Um, and how many of those people have conditions that you can sort of see or, or even more serious ones? Well, really, like less than 1%. Uh, we don't see things very often. That said, really, in the last two months, I've seen two things that are a little bit nasty that I'm waiting to hear about. So, well, what, have, what have you seen? No, na- no names, of course. No names, of course. So just, you know... I'll Wait a minute. S- I've seen you. This isn't me, right? <laughs> not you. Okay, not, you would know. Okay. You know, we sometimes see an ulcer that doesn't heal that you would expect, you know, the average ulcer to heal in about a week and, you know, five weeks later it's still there and you're wondering why and needs a little bit more uh, investigation to see what's going on there. Okay. What sorts of things are dentists trained uh, to look for and obliged to sort of see? You know, most people think you go to the dentist, they're working on your teeth, but you're also looking to see what's going on with the oral health, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, so every time I look at anybody or somebody comes in on a checkup, it's, we always start with a head and neck exam and we sort of ignore the teeth initially. So we would look at the person's face, we check for moles on the face, we check the uh, jaw joint, we check uh, for lymph nodes under the neck. Right. That, uh, that, I, that I recall. Yeah. Thyroid gland, all sorts of things that you, most people don't even know we're doing it. I, I thought really the dentist was just being forward. I had no idea, <laughs> I had no idea that there was a health uh, issue. What do you look with the jaw? What are you looking for, a lock jaw? Or? Um, well, we listen, we palpate the jaw, and we feel to see if there's any crackling or clicking, uh, which may point to the fact that somebody might be grinding their teeth or mm-hmm. clenching their teeth at night. We ask patients that have symptoms whether they have pain, and then we sort of just follow their symptoms and is, is there an obligation of dentists to do this, or is this just something that you do in your practice? Well, I'm not sure that all dentists do it. I mean, for sure, all dentists should do it because, you know, uh, really, we are the head and neck people. Right. So in terms of that, we should be doing it. And I guess there's a phenomenon of displaced pain, right? So people are feeling pain somewhere in their head. It could be as a result of their their teeth or their jaws and vice versa. There could be pains that they're feeling in their teeth and jaw that is something else entirely, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Okay. So what sorts of things are you looking for? Ulcers, right? Well, I mean, in terms of soft tissue, yeah, we look for ulcers, we look for swellings, we'll look for discoloration, sometimes white discoloration, sometimes red discolorations. It could be something as easy as uh, it might be a callus because you're biting your cheek, but sometimes it's more than that. Right. Okay. So what does our gums tell us? Like I, I was speaking before about, you know, me personally, and when my gums are swollen, I know it's something else, but, but what do, what can our gums tell us? Well, I mean, the gums are almost like a crystal ball. So they can tell us anything from the fact that you lied about the fact that you're flossing. Okay. Um, but they can also tell us <laughs> things like, you know, there may be a disease state going on. So when people have inflammation of the gums, you know, it could point to 
diabetes sometimes, uh, if somebody has a dry mouth that, you know, sometimes is because of certain medications that they're taking, but it can also be indicative of certain infections uh, that are going on. Right. So when you're saying you were looking at white and red, so red is like an inflammation, right? And, yes. and white would be the white blood cells or perhaps an infection or something? Um, well, white is usually sort of a like a almost like a callous state of the tissue. So ah. it could be that something is rubbing, but also certain cancers will show up as white. Uh, sometimes you can have things like a fungal infection, and that shows up as white as well. Okay. Are there any other colors of the rainbow we should be concerned about? Um, I suppose if you saw green or purple in there, no, it's not Well, gonna... sometimes you see blue, actually. There are things called when people take out old filling, sometimes that silver filling gets lodged in the tissue and it actually tattoos it. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Fun fact. You can find gold in there. I have gold teeth, for example. What is broken teeth? What about that? What can that tell us? Um, I mean, people, there are a lot of people. I'd say far more than 50% of my adult patients are grinding their teeth. We're such a society, especially here in Toronto, of type A overachievers. Uh, Guilty as charged. Right. And that, you know, your brain doesn't shut off at night. So subconsciously, a lot of people grind their teeth or clench their teeth at night. And if you're doing that and your teeth aren't protected by wearing a night guard, we see very often wear of the teeth. We can People can lose up to you know half or more of the height of their teeth just from grinding them away. But the same actions also break teeth, break fillings. Yep. Um, so it, you, that's usually an indicator. Right. I actually have this recurring nightmare that my teeth are breaking. And then recently I came to see you because, in part because one of my tooth actually broke while I think I was eating an apple, which was really sort of disconcerting. But uh, For sure. But you know it wasn't the apple that actually broke it no. or weakened it. It was probably in a weakened state from grinding. Yeah, for sure. What oral symptoms are there that signify perhaps that somebody might be diabetic? You mentioned that before briefly. Yeah, well, you know, with diabetes in general, and it's this is like poorly controlled diabetes, right. you would see a lot of times people will have a dry mouth. Uh, they may have an increase in inflammation, so sort of gum disease that doesn't go away, um, gingivitis or inflammation, redness of the gums that would normally go away with a routine cleaning that doesn't resolve. Um, So that could be an indicator uh, of diabetes as well. Their breath sometimes smells like alcohol too, right? Well, that would be a really uncontrolled, uh, almost like diabetic coma, insulin shock thing. You get that fruity. Right. Okay. And... Let's say there's a lot of bacteria in the mouth. That might indicate a bigger problem too, right? Um, well, I mean, there's always bacteria in right, all of, of our mouths. Like yeah. at any time, there's about 500 different types of bacteria and fungus that live there. Um, the problems come when that bacteria builds up. So the more bacteria there are, the more areas without oxygen there are. And the nastier bacteria are the bacteria that don't require oxygen. Ah. So people that don't brush their teeth or... For example, uh, soldiers in the field that don't have access to dental care or people in underdeveloped countries that don't have dental care can really develop very severe gum disease uh, that may be you know, quite rampant and cause tooth loss. Okay. And uh, there's something called thrush. What's thrush? So thrush is, again, that fungus. Right. So it is basically a yeast infection of the mouth. Now, these fungi are always there, and that's a natural state, but when people's immune systems aren't working the way they should, you can get an overgrowth of those, and you get like this white coating on the cheeks, and it can be super hard to get rid of. 
And thrush might indicate a more serious uh, condition, right? Yeah, it can indicate that there is an immune problem. So people with HIV or other immune problems uh, can develop it. But by the same token, even just taking an antibiotic, which throws off the balance of the bacteria in your body, can cause an overgrowth of it. Yeah, I find actually I don't like taking antibiotics because obviously it it screws with your whole biome, but particularly so in your mouth, right? Like I find there's more buildup on my tongue and, you know, it just... Yeah, for sure. It just throws everything off. Yeah. Okay. Your mouth can also be sort of a source of illness too, right? Um, Well, it can. I mean, because we have all these bacteria that live there, anytime and then the more bacteria there are, the more inflammation there is, the more likely your gums are going to bleed, even if you just brush them or look at them funny. Right. Um, So that can actually introduce those bacteria into the bloodstream. In people that are susceptible, that can cause infections of the heart lining. Um, If you've got like an artificial joint, it will tend to go through the bloodstream and seed in those areas as well. I mean, any inflammation anywhere in the body cause inflammation in the mouth can cause inflammation in other areas of the body. Right. Um, And the inflammation in the arteries can actually cause um, an increased risk of stroke and heart attack. Okay. What is trench mouth? I was reading about that. That sounds horrible. What's that? Um, Well, like I was saying before, um, the trench mouth was named trench mouth because it was... uh, People got it in the trenches. They got it in the trenches in World War I where soldiers that were in battle didn't have access to dental care. I'm sure we're not brushing and flossing regularly. They probably were not (laughs) flossing in the foxholes. And the buildup of bacteria uh, caused really super severe gum problems with ulcers and severe, severe bone loss. So that's something that's super rare now. But I mean, we do see it in underdeveloped countries or in places uh, where people have poor nutrition and poor access to dental care. What about plaque? I mean, you know, dentists are always saying you've got to brush and you've got to floss, you've got to control the plaque. What's the downside of plaque other than the fact that it's kind of doesn't feel good in your mouth. Well, I mean, plaque is basically just the coating of bacteria that's sticky, that sticks on your teeth. Right. Um, And we all have it. When it's not removed well enough, you can get sort of nastier bacteria uh, that can cause gum problems, that can cause cavities. Um, And uh, so removal definitely will minimize your risk of those problems. What, what can plaque lead to? There's more serious diseases. Oh, there. for sure. I mean, plaque can lead to um, any, because it can cause gum problems and gingivitis, periodontitis, um, it can lead to anything from uh, low birth weight babies, like most 18% of babies in the United States that were born with a low birth weight can be attributed to an oral infection of the mother. Wow. Um, it basically goes to the placenta and interferes with the developing fetus. Um, it can also cause uh, a bacteremia where the b- bacteria enter the bloodstream and cause an infection of the lining of the heart. And uh, because because of the inflammatory state of the gums, you can end up with inflammation in other areas of the body, um, and it can um, the inflammation in the arteries can lead to an increased risk of heart attack and stroke. Okay, well, that's serious stuff. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have on the show today. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomaradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For great articles written by Carlisle Jansen, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. 
Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss the city with urban developer Mitch Abrahams, Cooking for Love with Naomi Bussin, The Natural Treatment of Addiction with Emily Lipinski, and The New Canadian Food Guidelines with Shauna Lindzen. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.